That was probably a William Goldman line, you know? That was, that's just... <laughs> Don't you dare put that on William <laughs> Goldman. Hi, and welcome to episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. On today's episode, we are finishing up our month-long look at the genre of movies that we're calling Christmas-adjacent films. At the end of each month, we end each month's discussion with a director that is synonymous with the genre we are covering. And today's director has really has been closely tied with the Christmas-adjacent genre since pretty much the beginning of his career. I mean, since the opening shot of the first film he wrote. Mm -hmm. And you could argue that he helped elevate this genre of Christmas adjacent to the mainstream. And that director is Shane Black. Before we dive into Shane Black and his his life and career, Thomas, can you give us a brief recap on the Christmas adjacent genre? Yeah, so we've talked a lot about, you know, first you have to establish what the Christmas genre is. and, And we've done an episode on that before. And we've talked about it this month. But it's a lot of times it's about a film that makes somebody uh, discover the Christmas spirit, whether that is generosity or faith or family or love, anything like that. Uh, A lot of inspiration comes from the Christmas Carol, as we've mentioned. And so what we're talking about with the Christmas adjacent movie is is a film that doesn't necessarily follow those themes. It's not about the spirit of Christmas, but it uses everything that we know about a Christmas movie in in some mm-hmm. way to support the story that's being told. Um, it can be to to put a twist on it or to make it darker, like some of the movies we've talked about this month uh, that we decided are a sub subgenre of anti Christmas movies, like uh, like Batman or like In Bruges, that that takes those kind of good Christmas spirit feelings we're used to in a Christmas movie and makes them dark and uses that to show us kind of how low the characters are feeling or, or put them in an especially vulnerable place. Uh, but it can also just take some of those themes, like we talked about generosity, family, all of that, and, and, and use the Christmas setting to introduce those themes easily without necessarily making it the centerpiece of the movie. Yeah. It follows the kind of the themes of, of a Christmas film, but like you could take the, the setting of Christmas out of the story and it wouldn't really change the overall plot or story of the film. It's mm-hmm. sometimes just used as an aesthetic to, to make the film kind of pop more compared to other things. And yeah, you said talk about like loneliness. And I, I've heard Shane Black talk about how like why he puts Christmas a lot in his movies with how many, many people when they're uh, when they're, if they're lonely in real life, they are, they become lonelier at Christmas because they're reevaluating all of their, all of their issues and problems within the world. And that's, that's kind of the time for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like, I mean, I really do feel like black has his work. Christmas adjacent genre was there before black came in and started writing movies and directing films. But I do think he had, he did elevate it to the mainstream. Yeah. I think uh, he, in the he's, 80s. he's one of the first people. Yeah. in within mainstream who, who, you know, with uh, lethal weapon, who introduced this idea of like this can be set at christmas and yeah. we don't have to we don't have to call it a christmas movie we don't have to market it as a christmas movie it can just be a movie that is set at christmas and and um and you know i think it's well known that he influenced die hard which a lot of people kind of hold up as the the christmas 
you know, there's this whole argument of whether it is a Christmas movie or whether it's Christmas adjacent. And um, Joel Silver, who was the producer on Die Hard, was inspired by his work on Lethal Weapon with uh, Shane Black to to make that decision on Die Hard. So Shane Black really has had his, his finger in that Christmas pudding since since the start. Very much so. That I, that was something I never knew until researching for this episode was how Joel Silver was like, oh, that kind of worked with Lethal Weapon. Let's just set Die Hard at Christmas because it wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to be that way. And the other thing, too, was that Die Hard, that was not the original name for the film. That was actually the original name for a Shane Black script. And mm-hmm. Joel Silver took that name. And the movie that, that Joel Silver or that Shane Black originally wrote that was called Die Hard would later become The Last Boy Scout. Which name do you like better, Die Hard or Last Boy Scout? I, you know, I just watched The Last Boy Scout for for the first time today. Yeah. And I'm not really sure where the title comes from. <laughs> like, I didn't it, well, super get it. Well, you know, like, well, you know where it's said in the film, though, right? Yeah, yeah, in yeah. Last Boy yeah. Scout. Yeah. But you mm-hmm. don't know, like, the reason of why it's being said. It doesn't, it doesn't, that. yeah, it doesn't, like, really feel like the, the overall, it doesn't inca- capture, like, the overall the theme. movie. Like, like yeah, Lethal yeah. Weapon. Like, Lethal, lethal Weapon m- means so much about that movie. Like, it does. Uh, yeah. Last Boy Scout, it, maybe not so much. <laughs> we'll talk about it. But I still like the title. Um, yeah. But yeah, he, Black has, has been a major influence on this genre, even when he's not involved in it. I know a lot of people have talked about how Die Hard it feels like a Shane Black movie because of the Christmas setting and because of the action. And I would say action comedy aspect of the film, mm-hmm. but you realize, oh, wait, it wasn't Shane Black at all. And yeah. and Black has well, also I, had I a I think big... you could argue that, that you know, John McClane uh-huh. wouldn't exist without Martin Riggs. I agree, yeah. And wh- I don't know if Mel Gibson was up for John McClane at one point, just because every like Hollywood actor at that point had passed on Die Hard before Sinatra. Bruce Willis took it. That's what all is, I know. Sinatra... <laughs> Sinatra was up for it. Because the character's older in the book. Um, the yeah. character is like in his 60s in the book. And so, yeah, Sinatra was like one of the big ones. Well, I think it was like Burt Reynolds was was had turned it down. I feel like Schwarzenegger and Stallone turned it down. Schwartz... Here's the list I just found. This is not deal with Shane Black, but we'll go here. Uh, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, Richard Gere, Clint Eastwood, Harrison Ford, Burt Reynolds, Nick Nolte, Mel Gibson, Don Johnson, Paul Newman, and James Caan. And Sinatra was the other, was the first one, who was 70 at the time we turned it down. Man, that's a lot of people. And then Bruce Willis for Moonlight. Anyway. Can you imagine Sinatra being like, come out to the coast, have a couple laughs. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, and But also with Shane Black, too, I want to go back to this, of, of not just the Christmas adjacent genre, but also, I think, kind of redefined... I would say buddy cop genre, but also just the buddy movie. Cause mm. even though, because yeah. not all of his movies have cops in it, but like Iron Man three, at least the final third, the third act is pretty much a buddy film between uh, Downey and Don Cheadle. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of what it is, but yeah. And also one, one thing I want to bring up to a Shane Black that we'll, we'll dive into more as we go through his movies is I do think his writing really elevates the comedy Uh, the comedy skills of actors that are usually not known for comedy. Like when you look at someone like Ryan Gosling and the nice guys, or even to an extent, uh, Downey and kiss, kiss, bang, bang, because that's the beginning of the whole like Downey Renaissance and comeback. Yeah. That's the, that's the like motor mouth, sassy one and Kilmer too. in that one, we'll, we'll get to, we'll get to kiss, kiss, bang, bang. But, uh, but yeah, no, I think he, um, 
yeah i think he has this ability to bring out this comedy in a lot of these actors that Mm -hmm. uh is i think the really the highlight of a lot of his work for me so before we dive into his movies do you want to hear a little bit about his backstory yeah let's go do you know much about his backstory? I just want to. He was in Predator. <laughs> he was in Predator. Uh, I I, I, a... I know I know about like the kind of history of of the Lethal Weapon script. Like I know he was he was kind of a Hollywood wonder kid and yeah and, and I've read the Lethal Weapon script and it's 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 a ballsy script and um I know it was one of those things that he just kind of exploded onto the scene. Do you know how old he was when that? Twenty one, twenty two. He was twenty. He was twenty four when it came out. 24 which is insane to me it's a really cool script i i highly recommend um uh, reading it some, if you if you yeah yeah, yeah I, I highly recommend it anybody out there if you guys even if you haven't read a script before it's interesting to read you might not realize it if you haven't really read a script before but like his voice is so strong in that that script yeah. um which is not always like a thing and he he talks directly to you um it's wild. Well, it's, it's like, a very interesting. Like, script. Well, here, here, here's the bit. Here's the bit from the Lethal Weapon script. It's on the Wikipedia page about his style. Uh, exterior: posh Beverly Hills home. Twilight: the kind of house that I'll buy if this movie is a huge hit. Chrome, glass, carved wood, plus an outdoor <laughs> solarium. A glass structure like a greenhouse. Only there's a big swing pool inside. Inside. This is a really great place to have sex. That's. <laughs> but yeah. So Shane Black's early beginnings. Shane Black was born December 16th, 1961 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I do wonder if being born December and your birthday has something to do with Christmas. Uh, Mm -hmm. Born uh, to Paul and Patricia Black. Paul Black worked in the printing business and was an ex-football player, I believe. Uh, And it seems that Black was surrounded by books because his dad was involved in the printing business, which resulted in Black gaining a love and passion for hard-boiled fiction like the works of famed author Mickey Spillane, these kind of pulpy Mm. detective stories he read a lot growing up because his father also loved him. He was raised in the suburbs of Lower Burl and Mount uh, Lebanon, Pennsylvania, before moving to Fullerton, California during his sophomore year of high school. And Fullerton is located north of Anaheim and Orange County and just south of Los Angeles County. Mm -hmm. There he attended Sunny Hills High School. What a great name for a high school. Very California. Uh, Very California, which has alumni. uh, Some of the alumni are director Catherine Bigelow and famed singer Jackson Brown, one of Thomas's favorite people. Um, After graduating high school, Black moved to Los Angeles and attended UCLA, where he majored in film and theater. Uh, He would graduate from UCLA in 1983. He had spent a lot of his life writing as a hobby, and but during his senior year uh, of college, he decided to try and make a living at at it. In college, he wrote several one-act plays and even was planning to become an actor and a stand-up comedian. But he said, I hated auditions, so I didn't do that. Um, During this time, he met a fellow writer by the name of Fred Decker, and Fred Decker would kind of be an important figure uh in his life while trying to make a living as a screenwriter he worked black worked at a temp agency as a typist a data entry clerk at the 1984 summer olympics and even an usher at a movie theater in westwood which is right off off ucla campus during this time he spent six months working on a script called the shadow company a supernatural thriller set during vietnam it was platoon meets the exorcist 
Uh, Fred Decker helped Black send out send out a script around town. This script would land him an agent and get him a few meetings with mid-level executives. 20th Century Fox liked the script and was interested in Black rewriting scripts for the studio. At some point during this time, Black was writing scripts and one of them would eventually become Lethal Weapon. He said he had spent only six weeks writing the script. This would land him a deal at Warner Brothers, which was worth $250,000. While the script was being developed, he asked Lethal Weapon producer Joel Silver for an acting role in one of his other movies, which became Predator. And Black would also help do rewrites on that script while on set. Again, very brief bio because there's no book I found on Shane Black. So <laughs> that's and so yeah, Lethal Weapon happens at 24. Like, I'll, and that's the other thing too. It was a very short, the short bio because by 24 he was already one of the becoming one of the most sought after screenwriters in Los Angeles. Yeah. So I mean, you can't, you cannot beat. <laughs> Lethal Weapon as your debut film. That's it's you it's can. insane to me. It's uh it's one of my favorite action movies. It's uh it's incredible. Yeah. And not just that, but like to not be like rewritten is yeah. the other thing. They might have they might uh, have I mean that's, that's the thing about getting your voice into the script as as heavily yeah. as he did. You 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 have to establish yourself as irreplaceable. And and you yeah. even if you know and, and I think that's that's something with with Black is his voice is so strong, and we'll talk about this. But you know, mm-hmm. as as someone who spent a lot, most of his career having his movies directed by other people, it's it's he's one of those really really distinctive writers who's able to like make it his movie still um, as the mm-hmm. writer, and and he was doing that from day one with Lethal Weapon. Yeah, it's funny because he he is a a screenwriter who worked in the business for about a decade before actually tackling his own movies. And then he took a, a very long break in between. And it, I don't know if it was self self done, but like go from doing long kiss. Good night in 95. And then I think kiss, kiss, bang, bang is like 2004, 2005 as well. Think, something like, yeah. yeah. Um, but let's, let's, let's jump into lethal weapon and lethal weapon. I think we've talked about previously when we did buddy cop movies, uh, last year sometime is what it was mm-hmm. and the in uh, the other iteration of the show when ben was on um but yeah his his diet like specifically lethal weapon i feel like those are some of his most well-defined characters mm-hmm. with martin riggs and murtaugh i just think they're I, I i don't i'm not gonna say lethal weapon is shane black's best movie but i just think in terms of all of the themes and things that he will continue to work on throughout his career, I feel like they're at their best in mm-hmm. Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's just that perfect, it's a perfect storm of, uh, direct, it's, it's a great director for the script yep. um, and the perfect cast for the script. And I don't think anyone shy of maybe, I, I think uh, Robert Downey Jr. does a great job with it later on, but I no one is able to capture the Shane Black character the way that Mel Gibson does in this movie. He's heartbroken, he's crazed, he's violent, he's bloodthirsty, and he's also quippy. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's it's so, it's so many things to to you know cat capture in a character all at once, and and, mm-hmm. and then of course you got Danny Glover, you know, working as a perfect foil off of him. Yeah. Um, 
it yeah it's just chemistry everywhere in this movie i think dan glover's character uh murtaugh is probably sham black's most mature character mm-hmm. like in terms of like he's a family man because like if like when you look at all their stuff i some of the, it doesn't really delve in it delves in the family or these kind of makeshift families but Danny Glover's character is a family man with like with three kids, a wife at home, renovating the house. Christmas is coming up, and you don't really see that again in that way in any other Shane Black movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of his characters are people who don't have their shit figured out, and yeah, and Murtaugh does. And that, I mean, and that's so much of the conflict in the first one is like Murtaugh's good. He's coasting to retirement. He's got everything planned out, and then you introduce this complete wild card into his life. Yeah. Do you feel, and this, I, I didn't know I was going to get this er, this deep early on, but do you feel a lot of Black's movies are just kind of rehashed to this lethal weapon formula? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, okay. Yeah. I think he, yeah. Yeah. I think there's a formula. <laughs> there's a, there's absolutely a formula to, to these, um, especially like uh, daughters, daughters being kidnapped like yep. so so often weirdly notice that too in this rewatches yes yeah yeah um yeah it, 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 it's buddy cop he makes buddy cop movies period mm-hmm. um or just buddy movies i guess um but hey yeah. if, if it ain't broke like, yeah that's the thing it, it, and and it's funny that you said he I, I didn't realize he had so much interest in like pulp novels but i mean that makes sense but it it, it, it is it, he's he's like the film equivalent of a pulp novel writer i mean it's the same thing it's these detective stories that just kind of same same characters with a different external conflict uh which we see a lot in franchises like we talked about with james bond for instance like except he's the one who does it's not a franchise it's he's changing the names but like it's it's, it's kind of like that he's kind of like a, 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 fran- a like a shane black franchise yeah no, he is. That I think that was was so kind of with the hype that surrounded Predator when it came out or when it was being made was that Shane Black is tackling the Predator, and I think and we'll I'll get into it a little later, but I do feel like that's a movie that kind of just got lost in what it was trying to be, and I don't know if that's Black or I don't know if that's the studio or a number of different variables, but it just kind of it, it was missing what was present before and earlier black films mm-hmm. but yeah lethal weapon i think just the buddy dynamic of gibson and glover and and here's the other question and again this might be early on is this the best usage of christmas in a shane black movie um uh, there's there's two shane black movies that i consider like borderline christmas movies like maybe not even christmas adjacent and and this is one of them kiss kiss bang bang is the other one um but yeah, I, I, this is this is one of them. It, it's my thing is if people can make the argument that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, then Lethal Weapon is one hundred percent a Christmas movie. But but he's he's doing everything that we're talking about. He's he's taking this theme of Christmas and using it to even further display the contrast between these two men. This is a time when all Murtaugh wants to be doing is sitting at home with his family, spending time with his kids, appreciating the family around him. And it's a, and it it obviously is a time of torment for Riggs. It's a time that reminds that reminds Riggs that he doesn't have a family anymore, and and ultimately what we see in the end is is that Riggs is invited into and and accepts the invitation into Murtaugh's family and into Murtaugh's Christmas, 
um but yeah he, he uses it to even further the conflict between these two men to really show us like this this is a time that can be super happy for people or it can be the absolute worst time for for someone else and um and then he also uses it like we said stylistically he uses it to contrast uh and he, he does this a lot throughout his career but obviously this is the first one but to contrast the the kind of like shocking violence with what we normally think of as yeah. like a really a time of peace and goodwill towards men uh i mean especially the um the final fight with mr joshua in uh in the front lawn at, at murtaugh's house you've got that that sequence when the, when he's inside the house and there's the christmas lights and it's all it's kind of dim and it looks really nice and then the car crashes yeah. through the window and you've got the the fighting in the lawn with the uh fire hydrant going off which is incredible i love that scene so much but you've got the whole time you've got all these neighborhood christmas lights behind it and it's it's like a really shocking brutal raw scene but having the christmas lights in the background gives it this like very distinctive flavor yeah and the other thing too talking about christmas specifically with black a lot of shane black movies is christmas in los angeles because mm-hmm. that's not as much shown in other films as it with like you have with Christmas films elsewhere, like say the Hallmark Lifetime movies. Oh, there's snow on the ground and it's it's uh, uh, carolers, carolers. It's this, it's that, it's it's gifts around the tree. And when you're looking at say Christmas in L.A., it's not always as it's not always as uh, recognizable because it doesn't snow in Los Angeles. It's mm-hmm it's it's not cold it's like people are still wearing shorts and t-shirts on christmas day sometimes so it's very it's a very different uh setting for christmas and your tip compared to your typical christmas movie and he adds that flavor to it and, and just a really cool los angeles movie i mean a lot of his yeah. movies are but um but especially kind of that last fight sequence in hollywood is always anytime i watch it i'm like this is insane that they like shut down hollywood boulevard and oh uh, but yeah and, but you see like musso and franks and like uh it's weirdly when catching clips of it like watching it out of context of how modern those some of those scenes feel when you're I mean, it's in hollywood at night like mm. when i watched it it was like i know i know it's not once upon a time in hollywood but it has like some of that feel to it of just how naturalistic it looks and how just kind of like it definitely feels raw and gritty and almost like it was Michael Mann collateral just going out there with the camera and not changing anything type deal. Mm-hmm. It definitely has that feel. Hey, okay, no bullshit. You want to kill yourself? Oh, for Christ. Shut up! Yes or no? You want to die? Yes or no? Huh? I got the job done. What the hell do you want? You didn't ask the question. Oh, what do you want to hear, man? Do you want to hear that sometimes I think about eating a bullet? Huh? Well, I do. I do. I even got a special one for the occasion with a hollow point. Look. Make sure it blows the back of my goddamn head out. Do the job right. Every single day I wake up and I think of a reason not to do it. Every single day. And you know why I don't do it? This is going to make you laugh. You know why I don't do it? The job. Doing the job. Now, that's the reason. You want to die. I don't. I'm not afraid of it. I ain't afraid of it. Take my gun. Don't nibble on the barrel. Pull the trigger. Go ahead, pal. Be my guest. Go ahead if you're serious. You shouldn't tempt me, man. Put it in your mouth. Bullet might go through your, your ear and not kill you. Yeah, under the chin. Yeah, 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 under the chin.
You're not trying to draw a psycho pension. You really are crazy. I'm hungry. I'm gonna go and get something to eat. After Lethal Weapon, Shane Black gets brought on to co-write a movie called The Monster Squad, directed by his friend Fred Decker, who co-wrote the movie with Shane Black. And The Monster Squad is kind of a movie that is essentially these, like, young kids who battle essentially the universal monsters of, like, Mm -hmm. Dracula, the mummy. But Monster Squad, to me, just, like, it felt like I'm a movie I would have loved when I was 13 and not when I'm 28, when I was 28 years old watching it. <laughs> it just had, it just, it, it like everyone knows, like, oh, I loved that as a kid. And I'm like, but have you watched it recently? Like, I'm not saying it's bad. I, I would like young 13 or 11 or 12 Brandon Sparks will love this movie, but I just, it didn't grab me as much. Um, but it has been a cult classic. I think that one's hmm. streaming or, or was at one point. It's a cool premise. It's a really cool premise of like a bunch of kids uh, taking on monsters. And I would love to see a modern version of it, but I don't know if I'll ever see that. So after Monster Squad and the success of Lethal Weapon, uh, Warner Brothers, who does Lethal Weapon, wants a sequel. Uh, and Shane Black gets brought on to do a, a, a new script for Lethal Weapon 2, with novelist Warren Murphy and black wrote an original draft, but after six months of feeling burned out, he left the project and was paid like $125,000. Um, some people say it was one of his best scripts he ever wrote. Uh, but the big complaint was it was very violent and dark. And essentially one reason why I think him and the studio disagreed and probably parted ways was he wanted to kill Martin Riggs at the end of Lethal Weapon 2 in the finale. And Warner Brothers is like, we don't want to kill off our money-making like star. So he wasn't involved long. He said he kind of went off a, on a brief sabbatical for like two years because of that. But he would eventually write a movie that inspi- it was inspired, I think, by his time while working on Lethal Weapon. And that became The Last Boy Scout. Now, Thomas, you just watched this today for the first time or yeah no this was the first time i had seen this one so so what is the last boy scout about yeah so it's about a detective played by bruce willis who is kind of hired onto this kind of bodyguard job um and by a woman played by Halle berry and her he in the in the process of meeting her he meets her boyfriend who is a former foot very famous former football player played by damon wayans and she ends up uh, being killed. And so Damon Wayans kind of joins up with Bruce Willis in, in looking into her murder. And they end up becoming this un- unlikely pairing, surprise, of, yeah. um, of detectives who end up having to stop a, uh, an assassination attempt. And along the way, along the way, Bruce Willis's daughter gets kidnapped. Surprise, surprise. There's a lot of kidnapping daughters in, in some of these mm-hmm. movies, but also a lot of precocious kids. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's present in uh a little bit lethal weapon, not as much, but present in Last Boy Scout, present in Last Action Hero, even though it's not based on his initial script. Uh present in Iron Man 3, present in The Nice Guys. 
Um, so yeah, yeah, that's a reoccurring theme in his movies. Mm-hmm. So, so what did you think about the last boy scout and watching for the first time? It was fun. It's very, so Tony Scott directed this one. It is very yeah. Tony Scott. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very much uh, so. It's yeah, it's, 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 it was interesting watching this one, like being used to, uh, black's own direction and then also McTiernan and, and watching this one, it's like, Oh, that's, you know, someone can take a, Shane Black script and do it in a different way. Yeah, I I do wonder because the comparison piece I was thinking about when watching it was True Romance, which Tony Scott directed, written by Tarantino. Mm. And I think that is like the perfect balance of Tony Scott and Quentin Tarantino. Something about Last Boy Scout just feels off to me. Yeah, I feel like like McTiernan, I feel like McTiernan knows a little bit better how to, you know, when to, when to cut to action and when to cut to comedy. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure Scott totally had, it didn't feel as fun. I, they, they had the quips and everything. And I yeah. know that Willis can nail that kind of character. I mean, that's what John McClane is. And Damon Wayans is great. Damon Wayans is obviously hilarious and he's, he's good in this. I, I, I really liked him in this, but um, yeah, it just didn't feel like as snappy. It didn't feel like it had that kind of snappy Shane black dialogue. Yeah. And I think maybe that's, that's with Scott. He's, he's there. There are several times you know, Shane Black's got that kind of, and he, he makes fun of it in the script. Like um, he's got that line when, when Bruce Willis is, is teaching Damon Wayans how to be a detective. And he's like, yeah, and you, you have to have a line ready. Like if you hit somebody <laughs> with a surfboard, you say surfs up. And, and I mean, Shane Black does that kind of thing. It's like you have an action piece and then you have like a, a punchline. And um, a lot of times in this one, it felt like, you know, like a car would blow up. And then there'd be a punchline, but it felt like Tony Scott was much more interested in showing the car like still on fire yeah. and rolling down a hill than he was in, in the punchline that came afterwards. Well, I mean, it's also like the and I, I like the opening, but it's like the, the football scene that's like just like pouring rain, mm-hmm. just like that's a Tony Scott thing through and through of just like I want more rain. Yeah, because uh, it's just it's so visually stunning. Yeah, it's. It's. I think what's so crazy is that Waynes and Willis have really great chemistry together in the movie, but apparently they hated each other on the set. Mm. Like, yeah, I, I read that this is one like in terms of just like how troublesome the the shoot was. I read there's there are many arguments between Joel Silver, who produced it, Bruce Willis, and Tony Scott, and Shane Black kind of I guess was it because he was trying to fight for the script the way he wanted it. But there's just constant um, friction between everyone involved. And they're all kind of like at the top of their game. It's like Joel Silver's coming off of Fleet the Weapon and the Die Hard movies and Bruce Willis as well. Tony Scott's coming after like a few years after Top Gun. But yeah, it's like they're all kind of at the top of their game. And it just feels like they're like just not gelling well. Is it at Christmas? I feel like there's references to Christmas mm-hmm. at some point in the movie. It's just not as big yeah, as it's, it's set weapon. at Christmas, but um, yeah, I, I think that's also kind of a Scott thing. Like it's set at Christmas, but you know, Tony Scott doesn't do a lot of night stuff. He's, he's Tony Scott's all about like a blazing sun over Los Angeles. And so you don't get a lot of the Christmas aesthetic. I mean, you know, there's a big, the kind of recurring joke is that uh, Bruce Willis's daughter has gotten in trouble at school because they were supposed to draw Santa Claus and she drew Satan Claus instead. And they keep talking about Satan Claus throughout. So uh, yeah, that's kind of towards the end when when Bruce Willis and and, and Damon Wayans decide to team up. He's like, you know, I'm going to need some help. We got to track down this Satan Claus character. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's still there. Um, it's obviously there in the script. But yeah, that's another thing. It feels like 
Scott was not ready was wasn't into the idea of of the lights and 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 doing it the way that that mctiernan would have maybe yeah it's it's or even or donner or richard Mm -hmm. donner so you're gonna get a divorce man (sighs) shit i don't know you don't like women much do you joe at least i like the guy she was fucking he's my best friend nah he was a scumbag private detective man all private detectives are scumbags that scumbag tried to get you killed. Well, friends can't be perfect. I wish the sky wasn't blue. I wish water wasn't wet. And I wish I didn't still love my wife. No, life sucks. To Alex, the accountant. Count's name is Alex. No. But he could have been. Alex was my son. I used to be married. One Sunday, I'm away in Miami. She couldn't come because she was eight months pregnant. Walking down La Brea Boulevard. Out of nowhere, a pickup truck jumped the curb. Pow. Never knew it hit her. She died. But Alex lived for 17 minutes in an incubator. He fell asleep. Had time for one dream. And then he died. The big thing that came out of Last Boy Scout. Do you know how much they paid for this movie? Or I'm sorry. Do you know how much Warner Brothers paid for Shane Black's script? For the script? Oh man. For the, just the script. A million. One point seven five million. Wow. At the time was I think the most the the highest sell of a spec script, and that's why I wanted to into this specific conversation with Last Boy Scout because it was a spec script. Can you tell everyone what a spec script is, Thomas? Um, yeah, so a, a, a spec script is a is a script that you write, uh, you know, with the idea of it being for a specific studio. A lot of times, you can write a spec script for a franchise, but you haven't been hired to do it yet. You're writing yeah. it on spec, which means you know you you I could right now I could write a, a James Bond spec script, and uh, you know. It doesn't mean I've been hired to write a James Bond movie, but yeah. um, but I could still sell it as James yeah, Bond. Ba- movie. Yeah, basically, you're you're writing a movie that you're not being paid to write. Yeah, and the hope is that you sell it and make up for the lot the time that you've spent writing it. Yeah, and so at the beginning of the '90s, and I don't know if it's Shane Black that's the reason for this, but he he's kind of the king of the spec script era. But in the '90s, there was this huge boom of spec scripts being made mm-hmm. uh, or being bought and being purchased from family films to, to action films or whatever. There was just this big boom and uh, reading up on it uh, with an interview about with Shane black in 1990, right when I think they're about to start shooting last boy scout was talking about how, like, I think Brian Grazer, who's the, who's uh, from imagine entertainment, who's Ron Howard's producer talked about how like at that time it was so like you were living, you're going by the hype. Where like they put a script out the morning, like Monday morning, 
and they were trying to sell it by Monday afternoon. Mm. And so it was just like, who was, and these huge bidding wars happen. And so you're basically bidding it for the hype of it and bidding for the kind of, Oh, shame. It's a new Shane black script. He did lethal weapon. It's kind of the hot new talent. And so last boy scout was the big one at first where it was 1.75 million, which then led a little bit later to long kiss goodnight, which was bought for $4 million. Oh my God. And it's, it's not that good of a movie to be bought for $4 million. We'll talk about that later, but yeah, it was this huge Mm -hmm. boom. And and for example, which leads into our next movie that Shane black came in to rewrite was last last action hero, which was a spec script. And Mm -hmm. Last Action Hero stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, and it's basically kind. It was supposed to be a parody of Shane Black action movies, and then it just kind of became a Shane Black film to some extent. Yeah, it kind of did. I mean, it's it's, extra meta. It's extra meta. It's it's really is meta. It's like uh, so. uh, That's thing. So Last Action Hero, it's about Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of plays two characters. Uh, This young kid is is transported into the the arts of movie or the magic of movies and he becomes living in a action movie starring arnold schwarzenegger but the character he's playing jack is a jack slater yeah. that's what it is jack mm-hmm. slater is unaware he's in a movie but he just thinks everything kind of goes his way and he's a he's this kind of no nonsense hard-boiled cop and it's again. It's a movie that's supposed to kind of parody the 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 violence and the humor of those action of the Shane Black action movies of the eighties, but it, again, it it got lost because of the amount of voices in it. And so you rewatch this. I rewatched this as well for this episode. What did you think of it in your rewatch? I mean, I loved this movie as a kid. Um, like I, I I told you, it was a bargain bin pickup at Walmart for me in the early days of DVDs, and. Um, I loved it. And, and a few years ago, probably like eight or eight or so years ago, I became aware that it was a bomb. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I hadn't even, hadn't even known that as a kid. And, and there's some people we know who like vehemently hate this movie. Yeah. Um, do. So I was interested to come back and revisit. Well, and our, 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 our friends over at, at what went wrong podcast uh, did an episode about this yep. recently as well. And so check that out. Cause they go a lot deeper into what a troubled production it was. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of those things, you know, I'm a, I'm a defender of like 90s and 2000s meta content that was misunderstood. Like, I do think people weren't ready for how meta this movie was. I agree um, completely. Yeah. Because, yeah, like you said, it's it's set in our world, in the real world, and where this kid is obsessed with a Arnold Schwarzenegger franchise, a, a, a fictional Arnold Schwarzenegger franchise, but then he gets sucked into it. The whole second act is set in that movie. And then the whole yeah. third act is back in our world where that ver- the, the movie version of Arnold Schwarzenegger comes back out and he ends up running into real Arnold Schwarzenegger and there's all mm-hmm. these real character, all the real actors who play the characters and they're all interacting with each other. And um, I think it's really, I think it's, it's, it's a, you know, it's a fun Shane Black movie. Like some of the action sequences are really fun. I think Schwarzenegger's having a good time in it. Like he's yeah. really trying to, to, to inhabit this character and he, handles the like meta of it really well um it's flawed for sure like it's very it's much kind so. of a mess yeah. and you can tell there were a lot of voices that went into it but um i think it's i think it's a fun movie overall i can see why i enjoyed it as a, as a kid and especially as a kid who was you know so into film and filmmaking and that kind of stuff to 
to be able to watch it as a 13 year old and like get these jokes that they're making about yeah. uh amadeus like that i thought that was he hilarious. killed mozart <laughs> yeah i thought that the joke about there's a there's a scene where f mary abraham comes in and the kids like don't trust that guy he killed mozart and amadeus he won he won an oscar for that and like <laughs> and then the best i think it's the best line in the movie but later on f mary abraham's character stabs Arnold, Schwarzen- Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in the back, and, and Schwarzenegger goes, "The kid told me not to trust you. He said you killed Mozart." And and Abraham goes, "Mo who? I killed a lot of people. I don't know." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, so here's one question too. When watching this, because it, it it does, it, it feels a little muddled, but I I really like the part when they come to the real world and they come mm-hmm. off the screen more than when they're in the actual fictional world. Yeah, no, I think, I think that that works really well. And, and, um, you know, something, something that Chris and Lizzie brought up on their podcast that I'd mm-hmm. never realized was in one of the earlier versions of the script. And, and they're not, I'm not really sure where it got dropped, but there was more emphasis and they talk about it briefly that his that the main character's father has died recently. Yes, mm-hmm. um, I think the mom just says something like, "I didn't plan to be a widow, um, but it happened," or something like mm-hmm. that. But they were they were supposed to lean on that more, and so then you get more stakes to like why this kid is so obsessed with Jack Slater. It's not just it's his favorite character; it is a father figure to him. Yeah, and and that leads into and the and the scene is still in left intact when he's fighting with death, when like death comes out of the movie seventh seal still, yeah, played yeah. by Ian McKellen, which is, which is awesome. Like Just I, a, ran- a random cameo. Yeah. Yeah. So death comes out of seventh seal and is like approaching Jack Slater and, and the kid's like, no, you don't get to pick anymore. I'm sick and tired of you. This one's staying like that's supposed to be this big culmination of this kid's like grief over his father. Um, so that, I think that's an example of like how this movie got kind of messy is like that. Yeah. I think that scene would have resonated even more if we had had that that stuff left in. And Ian, McCle- Ian McKellen's great in that scene. He's like, I was just yeah. curious. Um, <laughs> it's really inventive and it, it's a, it's a lot of fun. I mean, my one of my favorite bits in the whole movie is is uh, Maria Shriver saying, "Don't plug the restaurant," and then he <laughs> plugs Planet Hollywood, and I was just like, "Yes." <laughs> I got because that was a big thing in the 90s. I mean, how many times have you gone to a Planet Hollywood? Because I've been to them a lot, not usually only, by choice. I've only been like once to the one in Myrtle Beach. <laughs> oh, wow. That was like, I've been, uh, I've been to, I have been to, I've been to the Planet Hollywood casino many times. Okay. I don't know if that counts. That's different. In Vegas. I don't, yeah, that's, I don't know if he a, still has a mo- solid casino. I don't know if he still has money in it, but like, yeah, that was the big deal. It was like, it was Bruce Willis, Stallone. And Schwarzenegger, and I think Demi Moore at one point when she was made to Bruce Willis, they all had like a stake in the yeah they had backing the movie or in the in the in the uh, in the restaurant and there was like one in Nashville that my family I would go to whenever we went to Nashville and there's always like usually anywhere there's like a tourist spot of like Orlando and like Disney World and then there I think there was one in Times Square because for some reason when I was in high school and we did a trip to New York for our class. They took us to Planet Hollywood. Out of all the places in New York City, Planet <laughs> Hollywood was the place with with this like mediocre cheeseburger. Favorite uh, pizza place is Sabara. Sabara, oh yeah, and they always go Chili's. Uh, yeah, but that was but Planet. But I love when, when they like, don't play, don't plug the restaurant. And like the next scene, he's talking about go go to, go to Planet Hollywood. Just uh, with yeah, that, ten that new locations. Yeah, that whole red carpet sequence is is a blast. I really love 
that, and that's the thing with this movie even though it, it sounds like it was a pretty troubled production everyone seems like they're having a really good time in this movie yeah yeah and uh, i love the sequence when when tom noonan's character shows up on the red carpet and everybody's like it's tom noonan he showed up in, in <laughs> costume and then you've got chris farley as like his his agent and he's like pulling him aside he's like oh we didn't talk about this why don't we talk well, let's get you a tux we, we need you in a tux and uh, and then real tom newman shows up and they've got that shot where they're like oh we we, we just saw you come by um and it's, and it's charles not chris dance farley he's great charles dance is great in this movie that's not wait that's not chris farley I thought chris no farley it's it's, Ri- it's it's rick ducommon from the burbs uh that plays his agent oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's they're both heavy set actors that's it's but you know you said charles dance Tra- yeah charles dance is having a blast in this movie it's yes like he's having so much too much fun in this movie <laughs> He is he the best part of the film? Because he kind of feels like it. I I think F. Murray Abraham is the best. That's part of fair. This movie, okay. But it's 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 not a it's not a huge role. Also also maybe Danny DeVito um, oh, as gosh. as the the cartoon cat cartoon police cat. officer. Yeah, I read that like because Arnold became so heavily involved in like the product like the producing side of it. You know, I think he did, gets credit as a producer, but he would just be like calling up his friends like, "Hey, come and be in my movie." Like I think Robert Patrick's like, yeah, he just called me up and was like, yo, do that thing you did in Wayne's World too, but for us, where you we portray uh the T one thousand. Yeah, uh yeah. like I said, last action hero, it, it is a movie that I think it, it's there is a movie there, and I agree the meta nature of the film is what I think really holds up for me. And it does show, specifically in that final third act, how good Schwarzenegger is at comedy. And how he can make fun of himself while also playing it straight with the Jack Slater character. Mm-hmm. It's a really great dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 for the purposes of this episode, they, there's a yeah. great. You know, the the movie opens on Jack Slater three, uh, yeah. which is essentially a Shane Black movie. Yeah, and it's set at Christmas time. Yeah, a kid's um, been kidnapped. A kid's been yeah, kidnapped kids, at Christmas it's time. The son. It's his son. <laughs> Yeah, his daughter is per- Jack's. Jack's daughter is perfectly capable of handling herself. Bridget Will, uh, Bridget Wilson, I believe, is uh, the actress who plays her, mm-hmm. she, who is in Billy Madison with Chris Farley. That's probably where you got the mistake right there. Chris Farley's I, in. <laughs> I, 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 the other day, I like looked at a list of cameos because there's people in this movie that I like. Like Chevy Chase is credited as having a cameo. He in this pops. Movie, up, yeah, I he did not he, see him at all. Oh, I, yeah, he's in the red carpet. He's in the red carpet. Yeah, but, scene. Uh, he doesn't doesn't have a line though. I feel like I saw Chris Farley on that list um yeah uh, maybe in the background but no i know yeah yeah and Instead little richard that, that awful awful jim belushi cameo hey do not hate on jim belushi it's just it's 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 a bad like the line they give him is so dumb i don't know if you remember What's the his line, line he says? but it's just like yeah What's i don't really line? like these movies but it gets my chick really hot and so like i just bring her these movies and i like to sit next to her it's just like get out of here jim belushi that that was probably a William Goldman line, you know. That what that's just... <laughs> Don't you dare put that on William <laughs> Goldman. Uh but yeah, you get your you get your Christmas mention at the beginning of Last Action Hero. So yeah, uh Shane Black was paid a million dollars to rewrite Last Action Hero, is what I read. After that, Shane Black writes The Long Kiss Goodnight. And again, as I said, was a spec script that was bought by New Line Cinema for four million dollars. Long Kiss Goodnight is kind of like wow. What well, it's that's insane. <laughs> and and at that yeah. point he's probably early thirties or so. Yeah, you, I mean you were talking about why why would he take ten years off? Like he just made four he million had so dollars. So much money. Yeah, ten years off. 
And I read in the 90s, they said after all that money, he still just like rent, rented a place in, on the west side with like four roommates that he knew from UCLA. <laughs> so he just like didn't spend much money. Yeah, so the movie came out in 1996. Basically, Gina Davis plays a school teacher in a small town, Pennsylvania, which is where Shane Black's from. And she's living with her boyfriend and daughter or hit, hit, and uh, yeah, hit her daughter. And essentially a few years before she was like found on the shore of like New Jersey, New Jersey beach and pregnant. And she had no recollection of who she was. And she's been hiring these private investigators to essentially track down who she was before this time period. And essentially what you begin to find out is that she was this like kind of secret agent, like CIA assassin type deal. And you're seeing her go from like housewife to CIA assassin trying to remember who she was before. And Samuel Jackson, is the, Samuel Jackson, and Gene Davis are kind of the buddy cop atmosphere. But again, it's all set at Christmas and I was kind of taking that, the, uh, the tropes of like, small town snowy christmas but using violence and uh explosions as a way to subvert that but still at the end of the day always coming back to like family or even like the makeshift family okay let's say i buy it you are a trained killer <laughs> i can't even say that with a straight face so samantha she um never really existed like nathan said she was a total fabrication i made her up so now she's just uh, gone forever and ever. Thank God. Look at my inordinately large ass. Look what she did to me. Pretty convincing act. I guess. You know, her uh, personality had to come from somewhere. Change the subject. Better yet, bring me that bottle. Here you go, drink up. So what's next? What do we do now? I contact Chapter. I come in for debriefing, bury the last eight years, get back to work. Cheers. So after that, again, as we said, he takes a big break. Long Kiss Goodnight comes out in 1996. And then he does Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which comes out in 2005. So Thomas, what is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang about? Uh, so Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is about a, a guy named Harry played by Robert Downey Jr. who's kind of a petty thief. Uh, mm-hmm. is, is it Philadelphia or is it New York? I think he's in New York. Um, yeah, New York. But yeah, the, the movie kind of opens. He's robbing a toy store around Christmas time. And uh, yeah. in the process, I love the opening sequence for this movie. I love this whole movie. But um, yeah. Uh, the yeah. cops show up and his uh, his partner gets killed and he like while he's on the run from the cops he runs into a audition for a movie and and <laughs> just by like pure luck the they're, they're like oh you're here to audition and the audition has to do with like a guy whose partner has just gotten killed <laughs> so uh so robert Downey jr has this yeah. like full harry has this full breakdown in the audition room like because he just realized he just got his friend killed and they're like wow perfect you're in let's do it and then so they fly him out to la they're getting him ready to be in this movie and they hire a private a real private detective named perry um uh you know this movie one thing out of this movie that maybe hasn't dated very well is everyone calls him gay perry yeah 
<laughs> but um, that's played by Val Kilmer. But he's a this this private detective consultant to the stars, and he teaches actors how to pretend to be private detectives. So Harry is just sent to like tag along with Perry on a case on a very open and shut case. But in the process, they stumble onto a murder and uh, are drawn into the kind of circle of this aspiring actress played by Michelle Monaghan, who is involved in this murder in a, in a certain way as well. And the, the three of them uh, get onto this this case. Is this Shane Black's best film? I'm just going to leave, leave with that. I'm just going to leave that question right there. He, uh, you know, as, as a movie that he wrote and directed, I would say yes. I, I don't think it's better than Lethal Weapon, per se. That's fine. It, it has some flaws, um, but it's one of those that I kind of love for its flaws. Like, it's 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 yeah. rough around the edges. Um, it's, you know, it's Downey at the kind of mounting his comeback. And, and yeah. Kilmer as well. Like, Kilmer hadn't done a lot in a while. And they're both just having a blast. And Michelle Monaghan kind of coming up, which I, I've said it before on this podcast, and I will say it to the end of my days michelle monaghan deserves every role you could ever give her she is great and uh, she absolutely nails this movie she is so much fun in this yeah i think it's it's three really good outside of Merton riggs it's his three strongest characters he's written and they they form a really good trio yeah i think it's 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 gibson glover as Merton riggs and then downey and kilmer it also might have shane black's best line uh even even outside of i mean even with lethal weapon i think what what's the line the best the best dialogue shane black's ever written you can you can play the clip because they're going to deliver it better than i i would but it's when it's when val kilmer says look up idiot in the dictionary you know what you'll find a picture me no the definition of the word idiot which you fucking are okay i'll say is it is it black's best dialogue in this movie because i feel like the in terms of like quips and sharp dialogue I feel mm-hmm. like there's more in this one than Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I think so. Because, yeah, so much of it is like it, it, you've got more opportunity for comedy here because instead, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is playing like basically an idiot. Like he has just completely stumbled into his life and has no idea what's going on. And, and Perry is such a like acidic, sarcastic type of humor and is just constantly putting him down like all the time. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is one of my like Christmas staples. Like I, I watch this like every Christmas. Uh, yeah, I think it's great. I think Downey, again, you're. I I wonder when we're watching this and Iron Man three, because I think Shane Black and a little bit Robert Downey just coming out of the Marvel universe. I really want another Shane Black Robert Downey Jr. movie right now. Yeah, because yeah. I feel like that they, they they really work off each other incredibly well. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that that Black has kind of helped. I think he really understands that Downey humor that the really Downey, wasn't the, the a, rhythm as well. That wasn't really present pre Iron Man. But yeah, I think I think this is definitely it's it's up. It's I think it's his best directed film. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about that, and it's also the one where I feel like it's his most like hard boiled inspired. Mm-hmm. And I think it it's probably the best example of where it works. I have some, I think the nice guys continues to do it and I don't think it works as well. Mm-hmm. But this one is just like, it's also, it's, it, it feels like a, a love letter to those pulpy detective novels. I mean, he even like the, the kind of like chapters like day one, day two are all mm-hmm. uh, names from uh, Raymond Chandler novels mm-hmm. with like farewell, my lovely or lady in the lake. 
so it's definitely a letter of that, but also a weird kind of love letter to movies because it's Downey kind of like telling you the story of like this as a movie. Well, and I think this is also his most like aesthetically Christmas movie of any, and, yes. and it makes sense that you know he directed it. Maybe this was him going like finally after after like we talked about with Last Boy Scout, where he's finally like these guys don't understand. It has to be Christmas. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like Michelle Monaghan's character is is working as a cocktail waitress, and she's like in a Santa costume for like half of the movie, and um, they they go to these kind of big a lot of Christmas parties. Um, so that this is the one outside of lethal weapon which i feel like thematically is a little bit more christmas it leans more into you know the the dark side of christmas with rigs and everything i, I think this one looks the most christmas and it has you know the christmas music kind of wall to wall and all of that it's hard to believe it was just last christmas that me and harmony changed the world we didn't mean to and it didn't last long you know a thing like that can't now that I'm in LA, I go to parties, you know, the kind where if a girl is named Jill, she spells it J-Y-L-L-E, that bullshit. That's me there. My name's Harry Lockhart, I'll be your narrator. Welcome to LA. Welcome to the party. guy smoking that's Dabney Shaw my producer he discovered me the man with him is Perry Van Shrike aka Gay Perry honest to god private eye consults in film TV just incorporated he's big time also he's gay don't start Perry seeing you play ball I know you're tough it's just that you see a naked guy and your brain says I want that so I don't make that leap it's like oh look there's an elephant quick let's drain its blood to paint my boathouse <laughs> it's just that that's not the first thing you think of L.A. By now you may wonder how I wound up here. Or maybe not, maybe you wonder how Silly Putty picks shit up from comic books. Point is, I don't see another goddamn narrator, so pipe down. How'd I get here? See for yourself. So after Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, he moves on to Iron Man 3. I feel like this is a big topic of discussion. And I didn't, I don't, I didn't plan for this, but I feel like Iron Man 3 might be his most misunderstood film. Yeah, I think... There's there's a, a pantheon of, of Marvel movies before Kevin Feige really figured out how to harness voices. And we, we've talked about this endlessly on the especially in the earlier iteration of this podcast. We, we, we debated a lot about like how the Marvel machine yeah. kind of incorporates strong voices. And, and I think Kevin Feige's figured out at this point pretty well how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. Iron Man 3 just happened to squeak by before he really figured that out. <laughs> yeah. And so it's really a Shane Black movie. And yes. a lot and it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way because of that. And uh, I think that I think honestly Iron Man 3 might have contributed a lot to the kind of trial by committee that yeah. Marvel movies have become since then. <laughs> and so what's the breakdown? What was Iron Man 3 about? Uh, so Iron Man 3 was the first Marvel movie to come out after the Avengers. And so it's directly about the PTSD that, that Tony Stark Iron Man is experiencing after a the first like big alien invasion. Like he's he's just been dealing with kind of small criminals. And all of a sudden there was an alien, like an intergalactic portal and an alien invasion and all this stuff. So he's dealing with the PTSD of like his whole universe changing. Um, and so during that, he's he's trying to figure out like how much control he has of these suits. 
um, and forming a really unhealthy bond with his his mech suits. And meanwhile, is is having a lot of his past come back to haunt him. And back when before he, because so much of Iron Man is about you know before he he changed when he was an arms dealer and flippant and, and discarded people. Um, basically, a bunch of people he discarded in his past have all kind of come together and have created this uh, formula to rival him in in industry, but also as yeah. you know, super as Iron Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and in the meantime, there's also this terrorist called the Mandarin, played by Ben Kingsley, that is somehow tied into this this formula that's going around. And uh, Tony ends up stranded during a terrorist attack. He ends up stranded in the middle of nowhere, America, with no Iron Man suit yeah. and has to get himself out of it on his own uh, kind of intuition without all the mech that he's, all the tech that he's been uh, accustomed yeah. to. So I watched this last night for the first time since theaters. And it was really interesting watching Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and Iron Man 3 kind of back to back because they are very similar in in technique. They both have Downey being like a narrator mm-hmm. of like the story. And I'm yeah, not which sure. Yeah, he never done in, in an Iron Man movie before. He hadn't yeah. really done that. And I don't know if Shane Black has really done it before in any of his scripts. So it feels very unique that Downey's the one doing it and Downey really kind of carries it through where I'm not saying it's the same character, but it's just like it has, like, he has, Downey has a great voice for like narrating the story and kind of like bring you along. But there is a, a big difference between the comedic narration of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and the very kind of guilt ridden narration of Tony Stark and Iron Man three. Mm-hmm. But and it also is a movie that where it uses Christmas very heavily in the film and i've heard i might have been drew pierce because drew pierce uh co-wrote the script i think with shane black and they talked about how um they they wanted the christmas setting because it grounded it in a way because everyone's a it was it was a shared experience Mm -hmm. christmas was a shared experience for characters who were not in the movie or people who were watching the movie not just characters in the movie so you can relate to like the loneliness that these characters have and again, we're talking about this like loneliness that kind of is present more in Christmas. That's very apparent with Tony, where he's constantly yeah. rethinking the decisions he's made in his life, specifically with like, um, not just that, but what he saw mm-hmm. at the end of Avengers when he went up or when, uh, like, when he see when he saw, uh, or is that Avengers two when he sees like the end of the world type thing, basically? No, no, that that is that is Avengers too. Um, Dang it's, it! And the first one is he goes through the like interdimensional portal, like fully intending to sacrifice himself, and just happens to survive. Survive. Okay. Um. What I what I also really like about the Christmas in this one, and and Shane Black's never really done this before. Like in like in Long Kiss Goodnight is set in kind of a more wintry small town yes. Christmas, but and and this helps to show kind of tony's privilege and his journey as well but you get a a really stark aesthetic contrast of malibu christmas versus this this town and you know i don't know wisconsin it is what it looks like tennessee is it tennessee tennessee yeah yeah but yeah it's like covered in snow this like small town with christmas lights everywhere so you get that that we we talked about how he highlights los angeles christmas a lot and how different los angeles christmas is than anywhere else in the country but uh, yeah, so you get this really stark contrast of like Malibu Christmas versus small town America Christmas. Yeah, dirty bar Christmas Eve or whatever type 
night because mm. they go, go to a bar scene or whatever and it's just it's like jukebox filled uh uh dr- drunk infested bar essentially but again it's like where everyone goes to hang out at night and yeah it, it's it's i i and a little bit of spoilers here with iron man 3 because i feel like the stuff they do in this film is just it's full-on swings and to me they 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 hit it completely yeah yeah and when it feels like i i I know the direction you're headed and and like i was (laughs) saying with with feige earlier it feels like every step of the way shane black is going i'm not making a marvel movie i don't (laughs) want to make a marvel movie and and that's what people came away when i talked to people after then i i love this movie i remember coming out i love iron man he's my favorite marvel character i love shane black and i remember coming out and going like that was awesome it was different it was wild and then there were all these comic book fans who were like the the mandarin is supposed mandarin is supposed to be the most important villain in like all of tony stark history they shouldn't have turned him into a punchline and also like i went to go see an iron man movie and he didn't even have a suit for two-thirds of the movie and i was like i love that That, (laughs) those were my favorite parts of the movie that's my favorite part yeah because it's it's not anything you're expecting and that's just also to to showcase ben kingsley for a second because he pulls off the the man the the menacing mandarin character and yeah. then and then pulls off the like drunken british washed up actor yeah yeah so spoiler if you if you haven't seen the movie it, it turns out that this character the mandarin is an invented character to, to to cover up some accidental explosions they they blamed it on this this terrorist and and brought in this this really dopey british actor played by ben kingsley to play the terrorist and um yeah he's great in this the moment the the reveal where he's like i'm trevor my name's trevor (laughs) um he's so good in it and and also uh, the other thing that floored me about this movie was the publicity for this movie was done so well like i i knew going into it that it was based heavily on the extremist storyline but it wasn't in any of the trailers like you all i knew was that like uh guy pierce had been cast as that character but I, i didn't and but all the trailers were like that you'll never see me coming like uh, that monologue i i even remember seeing like there were lego sets that were called like the final showdown with the mandarin and it was like the mandarin in this giant like octopus submarine thing like they (laughs) it was it was handled so well like it was amazing and 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 all like that's the kind of thing i don't know if feige would do these days is go through all of that effort to pull off a joke yeah essentially it's essentially like make fun of not make fun of that character the mandarin but it was the the whole big thing was they're like how do we tackle the mandarin because that was like oh it's the it's this huge kind of iron man villain but they're kind of seeing like does it work in the modern context yeah, it's also like and, steeped in racism and yeah <laughs> very problematic very problematic so like, how do you tackle that character well let's just like tackle it in a way that you would never you would never see it coming um but I remember sitting in theaters when that reveal of 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 Ben Kingsley as, as essentially drunk Trevor, and I'm thinking, oh, he's pretending, right? He's about to he's going to turn the Mandarin in like five minutes, and I was just like so dumbfounded that it wasn't just like a quick bit. It was like, mm-hmm. oh no, he it's like oh he has a body double. I was like thinking all these different things to explain. Like, no, that like the Mandarin has to exist. And I'm like, oh no, we're going here. Yeah. Everything everything you've showed us before this is all a lie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And 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 you know something else that, that I'm I'm really glad that that Black was brought in at this point is because he really plays to Don Cheadle's strength. 
he as does, well yeah. in this movie. Like Cheadle had just come in, in the previous movie, Iron Man two replaced Terrence Howard and wasn't given a whole lot to do in, in Iron Man two. No. And he's Don Cheadle. He's Don freaking Cheadle. He's one of <laughs> top five character actors of our generation. Um, I've loved Don Cheadle. And it's one of those things. It's like, you've got Don Cheadle in your roster. You got to play him. And, uh, and this movie, because it's Shane black, the third act turns into a buddy comedy. Yeah. And, and, and I think, and, and, you know, Cheadle's continuing to be, you know now we're at this point in the marvel universe where somebody can drop in for five minutes in a movie and, and hop back out and and yeah cheeto continues to be one of my favorite presence uh, in you know one of those guys that can hop in drop a one-liner and hop back out and yeah. i think i don't think he would be utilized that well if it weren't for this movie kind of making him a more central character can you guess my one big beef of this movie uh oh okay uh I don't know. What's your what's your what's your beef here? So how you feel about Michelle Monaghan is how I feel about Rebecca Hall. Oh, oh, and she's and, and, and she's she, out. They do her dirty in this movie, like they do her. It's another I'm twist. Just, you don't see, you don't see it coming. Because, I don't care. Because in the in the that's another it's another twist too that's built in for those. If you think you've read the comics and you you think you're good, um, her character. In, in the extremist storyline her character is much more integral than the aldrich killian character aldrich killian dies like in like act, the act one of the extremist storyline and 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 maya's character is, is more important so um yeah it's another it's another fake out yeah well i think what what it, what it sounds like and this is not a shane black and this might be a marvel thing i don't know who in the marvel world but the rumor and, and she has said this uh, Hall confirmed her character's role was greatly reduced in the final film, saying, I signed on to do something that was a substantial role. She wasn't entirely the villain. The There have been several phases of this, but I signed to something very different than what I ended up doing. Allegedly, I read that they didn't think people would buy toys of a female mm. villain. Oh, that's, is what yeah, I had heard. And so, and when you, and so when I watched this again, I I knew Rebecca Hall was in it. I remember her being a big role. But when watching it this time, I'm like she only has maybe ten scenes. Like she has like the whole, whole opening when they're in uh, Switzerland, or Switzerland or Sweden at the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. um, and then she comes back, mil- or right before when the Malibu place gets blown up. Then she's with Pepper for a bit, and then it's the the aldridge scene when and that's it this was also uh, the first uh uh marvel cinematic universe film to pass the bechdel test is it really it is yeah especially even if so the bechdel test doesn't necessarily the, the original rules of the bechdel test don't include that they have to be speaking about something other than a man but people like to include that as kind of the, yeah. the extra rule in this one because her and uh her and pepper go off on this thing where the the two of them are like trying to figure out uh the formula and they're like talking yeah. about the creation of the formula and stuff yeah. it's really the first one to pass the how oh, that's i wrote a lot about this this movie had just come out when i was writing my my undergrad thesis about misogyny and superhero movies and this one this one's a big one because it it uh it it breaks down the protection myth like so much of this movie is about tony just saying like i have to protect you pepper and he's like having like full-on breakdowns because he can't figure out how to protect pepper to which he then fails he drops yeah. her she dies and then is reborn as somebody stronger than him. Uh, 
It's yeah. It was. I, 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 I love. I, yeah, I, I do, had a whole I do chapter love, just for this movie. <laughs> I do love his response of when he goes, "I have no words." <laughs> <laughs> when like she like does the bit like her big kind of reveal. I think she kills Aldridge or whatever. She's like, "Yeah, I." But I I do think. And so how I think we've said it before, but how they use Christmas to continue Tony's journey. It it calls into. I think it's one of those things too. Like we said, Christmas is this idea of togetherness and. It, this it, Christmas here is used to highlight that how uh, lonely Tony feels and how like reserved in himself and detached. You know, he's got that moment where he buys Pepper a giant teddy bear for Christmas, and it's like obviously that is not what Pepper wants for Christmas. You are not connecting to the people around you right now. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's it's again that like kind of isolation. Um, you know that you're you're in this time where everyone's supposed to feel so close together and you don't and how does that make you feel it's the same with with rigs pepper it's me got a lot of apologies to make and not a lot of time so first off i'm so sorry i put you in harm's way that was selfish and stupid and it won't happen again also it's christmas time the rabbit's too big done sorry and i'm sorry in advance because i can't come home yet I need to find this guy. You gotta stay safe. That's all I know. So after Iron Man 3, Shane Black moves on to the nice guys. Thomas, what is the nice guys about? Um, yeah, so it's another we got another kind of hard-boiled detective uh movie. It's about uh Ryan Gosling, who is a bumbling, kind of awful private eye. Mm-hmm. And he and Russell Crowe. Are, are brought together russell crowe's a, a he's not really a private eye he's like he's muscle he's hired muscle yeah um and so and the two of them are brought together on this case of of tracking down a politician's uh missing daughter and and ryan gosling's precocious daughter um comes along for the ride as well there there's another precocious kid we forgot to mention the precocious kid in iron man 3 as well ty sumpkin lots of precocious kids yeah and and the kind of the joke of the nice guys which which I didn't really get the first time I saw it and, and, and had to see it for the second time is that like everything just falls into their laps. They're both yes, it does. bad yes. detectives, even, even more like the thing with kiss, kiss, bang, bang is like Harry learns to be a better detective. And, and, and Perry is a good detective. Who's kind of like lost his way amidst the Hollywood money. Um, but the joke with the nice guys all the way through is they're never very good detectives. Everything Correct. just kind of happens to them. And you're just watching their reactions as everything is happening around them. Yeah. And I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like he devotes himself to it. Like he, he does black, obviously at some point in the development of this was like, this is the joke and I'm going to lean into it. And he does. Yeah. Is it effective is, is another question. It's the big question. Cause I, that's why I felt, cause that, that is very like, there's a lot of seventies detective movies that, would do things like that where it's just like the character isn't really not saying they're a bad detective it's just everything falls in their lap for them and this one almost felt like it did it too much it does it toes the line of like parody and it never quite yeah. wants to be parody but it does exactly. get it does feel kind of silly at some points when you know they're, they're, ryan gosling keeps having these like near-death moments and, and and is not dying and it's just yeah it gets silly for sure and there's one the ones that like really kind of threw me it was the scene when they it also deals with like a porno tape because the opening the opening feels very reminiscent of lethal weapon 
where mm. it's this usually like adult worker or porn star in life's guys just like dies randomly and someone thinks it's a suicide or if they say it's a suicide, it's a rule of suicide, but it could be a murder. That's another thing that happens in a lot of Shane Black movies is there's always a suicide that someone thinks is a murder. Does that make sense? It happens mm-hmm. late the weapon happens in kiss, kiss, bang, bang. And it happens in the nice guys. And they get to a point where they, it, it circles around this kind of porno tape, which I believe is also present in lethal weapon. There's some sort of like yeah. tape. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, that pops again, nice guys. And there's a point when they're like, Oh, they're going to show this somewhere. Where are they going to show it? And the, and Gosling's Dodge goes, Oh, the car show. And I'm like, where is that coming from? Like where I don't remember that being mentioned. Maybe it was, and I missed it, but I don't remember that being mentioned anywhere in the movie. And, and, the daughter is definitely the smarter detective of the three people in the movie, mm-hmm. uh, which again is, is part of the joke. And also I don't know how I, I, and maybe it's just me. Cause I knew it wasn't really shot in LA that much. And it was shot in Atlanta. So all I see is it being shot in Atlanta and it being an LA movie. Mm-hmm. That's a bias towards me. Cause like the, hotel, yeah. the, the I mean, the it's, ending- it's tough too. You're really hitting the, the time when you can't really, make hollywood look like it did in the in the 70s unless anymore unless you're unless and, you're tarantino and spend unless you're tarantino yeah. and you spend an insane amount of money yeah. doing it physically you you're yeah. gonna have to do it digitally so if you're gonna have to do it digitally why not just shoot somewhere else yeah, yeah. um yeah it, it's a it's a tough order in the first yeah. place i don't think they pull it off well i don't know how anyone other than tarantino could pull it off at this point yeah um but yeah la re- recreating la in the 70s is 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 hard yeah, it's tough, and because there's the there's like one scene where it's like they're driving by like Felix the cat, which is the the mm-hmm. uh, uh, the use the cars the car lot near USC, and it just looks so weird to me. Once and also and just because digital effects, even just like digital effects from five years ago, have already feel can, can feel dated, and mm. this is like four years ago and already feels a little dated to me. It was hard for me too because the ending finale, what takes place at this huge hotel, I think, and maybe it's supposed to be like downtown LA. But I'm like, that's the hotel I've stayed at in Atlanta before. So <laughs> I know, I know this is not Los Angeles, and I know that's that's just me. That's my experience. That someone else might not feel that way. But yeah, it, it was missing that LA vibe. I feel like too, it's that the characters are not as interesting to me as Black's previous characters. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Like. Like, cause it's, it's the, oh, Russell Crowe's the muscle and Gosling's kind of the, the, the detective. And that's really all they kind of have. Yeah. Like there's yeah. not much there. It, it should be stated after, after that, that, uh, this was a very well received movie. It was. <laughs> and I think primarily because, and here's, we've talked about black with his cast. Oh, it's a great Pro- cast. Problems you have with the script or not. Gosling nor Crow had really done a movie like this before. I agree. Neither of them had really done it. Maybe Gosling, you could say, like Lars and the Real Girl is the closest he ever gotten to something like this, self-effacing and, and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And they both nail it. Like yeah, um, they do. It's it's not Black's strongest script. I agree with you there, but it's a really fun casting, and and both of these guys really lean into it and have a blast. the 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 scene in the bathroom is. <laughs> with Gosling is like some of the best physical comedy. It's, yeah. it's, he keeps hitting the door open. He drops the cigarette in his lap. It's so much fun. Yeah. I, I, I think when I came out of the movie or again, the second time was I love the actors. I don't love the characters. Yeah. 
Well, and I think it also, it came at this time, and we've talked about this on the podcast before. I, I think it came right at this perfect time where we were like, Gosling's coming up. We really like him. He's everywhere. Yeah. But can he do anything other than brood? And then he like dropped this movie and was like, I can. I can. Okay. You trust can't. me. Guys. You guys just aren't giving. Yeah. I think, I think Gosling is, is one of the more underrated, like comedy, comedy, like, 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 um, one more underrated actress that can go through multiple genres. It's mm. like he can do the depressing uh, or the brooding, like Place Beyond the Pines or Drive. Or he can do kind of the I mean, his comedy stuff in, uh, in La La Land, I think, is great as well. Mm. Just the random shot of him looking around with like at the party scene in La La Land with the with his uh, little keyboard. And he's looking mm. for like just his physicality is I think is phenomenal. I think I think we we've been truly blessed, and and I'll, I'll say this as, as someone who has been skeptical of all three of these actors, we've been truly blessed to have been handed this this group of like three actors who started off as like teen actors, uh, and then like did some like teen stuff, yeah, and then like dropped us, hit us with like, yo, I'm a dramatic powerhouse. And then hit us with like, I'll do some weird shit too. And also hit us with like, I'll do whatever it takes to get a laugh. And I'm talking, <laughs> I'm, you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking Gosling. I'm talking Gyllenhaal. Yeah. And I'm talking Chris Pine. I agree with all three of those. Yeah. All three people I was very skeptical of earlier in their, early in their careers. I was like, what are these pretty, pretty boy teenage actors? Like what, where do they expect their careers to go? I mean, I'm going to say it and this might, I don't know who's going to hate it, but Chris Pine's my favorite Chris. That's my honest. Oh, absolutely. Hands down. He's, he, okay. The fact that Hell or High Water exists <laughs> makes Chris Pine the superior Chris. I'm sorry to all the other Chris's. I love all the other Chris's. We actually legitimately today in my office were ranking the Chris's. And everyone was like, Pine, number one. I mean, just I think that the, the comedy aspect or the two things with comedy that pops to me with Chris Pine, sidetrack on the Shane Black episode here, uh, is Chris Pine and Wet Hot American Summer yes. TV show. <laughs> I... <laughs> nothing has endeared chris pine more to me than the fact that he came back for another season of wet hot american summer when a lot of the original cast members couldn't be bothered to come back and he's like arguably the most famous of any of them and he's like yeah i'm gonna gonna come to another season but it's that and then and honestly i think he's the best part of into the woods as Mm, prince charming with with uh with agony because I had a fr- he and Billy Magnuson are a great pair. I love they're a great big Billy Magnuson fan. I had a friend. She was like, "Oh, he's gonna be terrible. He's just like the good looking guy who can't act." I was like, "No, no, no, no. Trust me. He's gonna be the best part of the movie." And she's like, "He mm. can't be." And then it happens. She goes, "I stand corrected. You were right. Yeah, he's easily I think the best they're, part." They're all three. You know, we're, I think we're especially been groomed to like expect these good looking actors to like be very precious with their image and i think all three of those guys came up as these kind of heartthrobs and so we were like oh no and all three of them have shown they have like no inhibitions they're going to do what they need yeah. to to like make the make the movie maybe a little bit too much jake yeah. gyllenhaal and okja is like <laughs> way too much for me but okay back back to back, back to shane to black and, let's, let's and, go, yeah gosling and shane black yeah yeah but yeah hit, yeah the cigarette scene in the bathroom is is one of the most probably one of the funniest scenes of the decade of 2010s mm-hmm. i'm gonna be i'm gonna go on a limb and say that i think it's no matter how i feel about the overall movie i think just gosling and crow have phenomenal chemistry together and i think i think shane black's like dialogue pops with both of them yeah uh i just think the characterizations are 
feel like a rehash of stuff he's done it's just, or, or a watered down version. And I hate, I hate to say that, but and, uh, I just, it, it does. And on and Gory Rice as, as his daughter is um, yeah. great too. I, one, one of my favorite like underrated things in the Marvel universe is uh in the in the spider-man series they have that like they just have the cuts to like angori rice and the other kid who like hosts the the school news report yeah and it's so bad and she's so good <laughs> in those scenes she's like they're, they're just like super awkward and and uh really low energy <laughs> also i completely forgot that uh margaret qualley's in this movie yeah and when, yep. when I re- until i rewatched this was it. right this was right after like first season of of leftovers, uh, leftovers had just yeah. dropped i was like oh buy buy some margaret qualley stock <laughs> but yeah so nice guys and but it does the the last the, the in terms of christmas with this episode the last scene of nice guys takes place at christmas and it's about them coming together as as exactly. partners in the end which is you yep. know if, if we're talking as we get towards the end of the episode if we're talking overall themes and shane black it's about people finding makeshift families that's what pretty much all of his movies boil down to is is making your own family not necessarily your blood um and, and yeah, so that's what the Christmas kind of adds a little cherry to the top on nice guys as these guys come together as, as their kind of new family. Because because you could have that scene just play out at a bar with no Christmas at all. But that Christmas shows this changing of time and gives it grounds the scene to kind of show the importance of why they need each other in that moment. You know, I asked around about you. There's a couple of people I trust that say you're pretty good at this. Well, that's surprising. I would have thought your job ended with breaking my fucking arm. <laughs> well, you know, technically it, it did. I'm off the clock. This is a separate situation. I'm not buying this nice guy act, pal. She owes you money, doesn't she? You're coming to collect? You want me to finger her so you can uh, throw acid in her face? Well, no. No, she paid me up front, actually. You know, what it is for me is I like where I live and I don't want to move. So... Two days in advance, $400. Plus whatever the old lady's giving you. Old lady? Fuck you, old lady. You broke my arm. I quit, remember? So call her up, get back on the case, get paid twice. Wow, that is very telling. I'm a detective and we have a code. We don't do that, but interesting. Good to know. Okay. Good to know. You were looking for Amelia, right? Yes and no. Excuse me. My profession is very complicated, okay? It's nuanced. And so the next thing he does, and we'll, we won't spend too much time on this because it doesn't really go with Christmas. It does take place at Halloween, uh, and that's The Predator from 2018. Um, I'm mixed about this film. Uh, I think it's kind of, it has a great cast. That I, I do feel like, again, similar to Last Action Hero, it does feel like there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and I do wonder how much of this is like 20th century Fox trying to protect their IP. How much of it is Shane black trying to make a Shane black movie. Um, but essentially yeah, it's, it's, it's a predator movie about a predator uh, crash landing on earth. And then a bunch of these kind of this ragtag group of people who are government captives are having to take down this, this, these predators or this predator mm-hmm. essentially. And you, you have to imagine after, you know, the response to Iron Man three, we discussed as a studio, you gotta be a little gun shy letting, Shane Black near your franchise again. He's not going to give you Predator 2.0. It's not mm-hmm. going to be Schwarzenegger in the jungle 
It's how can we put this in a modern context? And I think there are interesting ideas in it that just don't fully work. But I do, again, I said, I do wonder if what is, or what was, or what caused that was the studio. Was it Shane Black's writing? I don't know. But yeah, it still ended up being the highest grossing Predator movie of all time, which is kind of shocking. Again, nice. infl- inflation, but yeah. it went on to make $160 million worldwide, which is the highest grossing film, but it was an $88 million budget. So, briefly, his unrealized projects. The one I want to talk about, the only one I really want to talk about, um, well, he, he was going to do an adaptation of the Remo Williams series, and Remo Williams, I believe, was... Mm-hmm. Uh, was made into a movie with Fred Ward, I think back in the 80s. This kind of adventure series. He was attached to that. That didn't go through. The one that I was super stoked for. And that was Doc Savage. Doc with Savage. Dwayne the Rock, with, with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Because I love The Rock. Thomas, you know this. I do think the big thing with The Rock is that he do, he hasn't fully worked with that like director that can really elevate him to like a new stratosphere as an actor. Like Schwarzenegger mm. has James Cameron uh, in terms of like true lies and Terminator. And when doc Savage was announced with Shane black and the rock, I was like, okay, is this the movie that's going to do it? But, but Shane black dropped out in 20 this year. So that's mm-hmm. not going to happen. And I was very disappointed. He was also attached to do death note, the Japanese uh, manga series adaptation that fell through. Well, it was made, but he, it was yeah, made, he but it wasn't with Shane Black. Yeah, it wasn't with Shane Black. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I still, I feel, I really wanted that Doc Savage movie. Okay, moving on to stats. Highest rated films. Lethal Weapon. That's number three. What? Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, nice guys. Nice guys is number two. And Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is number one. Nice. It's, t- it's it's tied with a uh, with nice guys, but it's it's kiss kiss bang bang nice guys and lethal weapon. Those are all solid movies. All solid movies. Now, what are his lowest rated? Uh, I feel like uh, Monster Squad's probably down there. No, I feel like Long Kiss Goodnight is probably down there. It's not. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> oh god, I feel like maybe Iron Man three is down. There. Iron Man three is down there. Letterbox, you guys, come on. <laughs> Don't take yourself so seriously. Um Last Action Hero? Last Action Hero is down there. <sighs> uh uh Predator. Predator. It goes from from lowest to highest. Predator, Iron Man 3, Last Action Hero. And I will tell you this, I think both Iron Man 3 and Last Action Hero are better than Long Kiss Goodnight, Last Boy Scout, and Monster Squad. Well, there you go. And then what we have next? Um, most popular film, just one. I didn't do the top three. Just give me the, the the number one. Nice guys. No, close though. That was number two. Uh, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Just because Letterboxd people hate Marvel movies doesn't mean they don't go see them. Uh, okay. Okay. Iron Man three, four hundred ninety six thousand watches. Uh, and least popular movie. Uh, Long Kiss Goodnight. Long Kiss Goodnight is the least popular movie, with I believe twenty three thousand watches. So his lowest, his his least watched movie is more watched than most of Fritz Lang's entire filmography. 
a callback to our previous director episode. Okay, final questions. Is Shane Black an auteur? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like like we said, he's he's got a voice even when he was a writer. Before he was directing, his voice came through a lot of those movies shine as Shane Black movies over whoever directed them. Um, and then as he's become a director, he's kind of cemented his style even more. Not necessarily as visually, although, I mean, the Christmas is part of the the visuals, but but through his dialogue, through his dialogue styles, and through his casting choices, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then, what are, Shane, what are some of Shane Black's running themes? Uh, I mean, like we said, family, makeshift family, yeah. absolutely. Kind of loneliness, which is usually the catalyst to lead somebody into, like, finding one of these families. Um and and a lot of his stuff is a lot he likes to like strip people down you know to make make people vulnerable and then running tropes as well i mean but then running tropes kids precocious kids (laughs) usually end up getting getting kidnapped or caught yeah uh pairings yeah 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 but yeah buddy pairings yes yeah and odd couples that's that sort of thing would you compare him or i'll say how would you compare him to tarantino because they're kind of the uh, same. I mean, he, they're kind of come at the same exact time. Yeah, I mean, he, he's obviously a little. I, Tarantino is someone who I think pushes himself to experiment within every genre he can get his hands on. Yeah. Uh, whereas Black is just kind of like keeping it likes to keep himself to one genre and, and push himself a little bit more, like to see how much he can change with. Like we talked about, just like what what can I change within the hard boiled detective buddy cop movie? Yeah. Um. So very different in that manner whereas tarantino's like no i got a western now i've got uh the the buddy comedy in in 1970s los angeles um now i've got a japanese revenge movie um yeah so in that way i think they're very different as as far as the dialogue goes yeah it's, it's you know i think the thing is is that tarantino so much of tarantino's dialogue is about the mundane and like introducing the mundane to yeah violence the 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 contrast of like talking about tipping when you're about to go kill somebody um mm-hmm. whereas as black is a little bit more about making the the dialogue as crazy as the violence yeah and and i want to bring it back to say to uh to kiss kiss bang bang real quick apparently that started off as a rom-com Hmm. uh shane black said he tended to make a rom-com a quirky story of two kids in la and he used um james l brooks writer and director of terms of endearment as good as it gets and broadcast news as kind of like a person to read a script and get feedback off of brooks liked black's first draft of the movie but felt his later attempts were losing focus and brooks suggested black imagining jack nicholson from as good as it gets playing the role of jj giddis in chinatown hmm yeah i like that and that's how he reworked the script but no yeah so yeah i think he i I think maybe shane black has tried to go outside of like not being an action movie but i think it's just like that's the thing he's again it's like when you're if you're reading all those hard-boiled books and kind of crime detective stories and that's i'm not saying that's all he read but i think that definitely has an influence on kind of the stories you end up telling it's it's tough when the when the first movie you've ever written it ends ends up being one of the greatest action movies of all time like yeah the castle of shadow very much so 
how does black fit into the genre of Christmas adjacent films? Yeah. I mean, like we said, I think black is this genre. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think the, the other movies that we've talked about kind of, owe that aspect of, you know, being able to, to introduce Christmas as a kind of a side thing to make things more dark, to add some aesthetic. I think that all comes back to lethal weapon. And, um, and I think his yeah. continued use of it has continued to show that it can be very useful. It's it's a shorthand to get you directly to these themes that we've talked about. And and he yeah. employs that perfectly to be precise and to get straight to this loneliness, family, depression, all that stuff. He's like, boom, hang some Christmas lights, play a Christmas song, and we're there. <laughs> so yeah, anything else you want to say about Shane Black and his movies? They're they're a blast. If you're if you're tired of of your standard Christmas fare, I, I always recommend. A lot of people forget, you know. Obviously, you remember now that you just listened to this episode, but um, yeah. Especially, I, I feel like several times my family's been like, "All right, we already watched Die Hard," and and I'm like, "Well, now let's watch Lethal Weapon." Like, don't forget, there's another action Christmas <laughs> movie out there. And and I would argue is probably more Christmassy than Die Hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mel Gibson has a fight in a Christmas tree lot. Come on, like, yeah. And like you said, the op- the opening has is, is Jingle Bell Rock. I think cops are like uh, are like doing like a uh, trying to sing like a choir or whatever at one point. You're singing Silent Night, yeah, yeah. And then again, the big scene, like you said, the, the lights of like when when Riggs and Murtaugh are waiting for uh, Mr. Joseph or Mr. Joshua Jim, and the rest rest like the kind of like ex CIA guy or war guys. To show it's just kind of this like this haunting and beautiful like like uh preparation scene that they're in with the with the mm-hmm. with the lights from the tree. Uh but yeah, that's all we have for you on Christmas adjacent movies. We hope you have a happy holiday and get re- we're gonna take a week off, by the way, for the holidays. So we'll be back in January for our next month's theme, which is Neo Noir, which what does that mean, Thomas? It's we've already had Noir Vimper and now we're heading into Jan Noir Very. Jan no no Jan Noir <laughs> There we go. Jan Jan Noir We only did the theme so Thomas could do his pun. That was the only reason. I don't know. It does it rolls off the tongue, obviously. It's 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 <laughs> uh, you know Jan Noir Noir Vimper is 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 not Jan Noir Yeah. Yeah, so we're talking about Neo Noir. We're still setting that up of what the what the schedule will be for January, but it should be fun. So that's all we have for you on this episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave us, leave us a review on whatever platform you're on. And if you haven't already, make sure you like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I think that's it. Thomas, as always, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, man. It's been a blast. And thank you all for listening. Hope you listen to more episodes soon. Have a happy holiday. Bye.